This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors world today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. I am proud to say that this episode of Anchored is made possible by Yeti. Over the years, Yeti has become a major part of my daily life, whether it be a morning coffee while walking my dog, a quick lunch to go for the day, or the enormous Yeti Tundra 350 to keep my food cold when I am in the remoteness of BC's north. It's actually hard for me to imagine my day-to-day without them. If you haven't checked out the Yeti website yet, hop online and visit www.yeti.com. This episode of Anchored is a unique one for me. Over the last few years, I have developed a major passion for bow hunting, an anomaly really, considering I grew up in an anti-hunting family who had strong views on the matter. I was the girl who vowed up and down that I'd never do it, until I allowed myself to listen to the different opinions and stories from like-minded people who I respect. In this episode of Anchored, I do exactly that. I sit down with Adam Greentree to see if we might be able to draw some parallels between fly fishing and hunting, and to see if we can approach the subject gently and with the sensitivity it deserves. As most hunters I know are also anglers, conservationists, cooks, and outdoors people, I hope to include more general content. To stay true to the direction of this podcast, the episodes will continue to focus on fishing, and I will be sure to include the subject clearly in the title descriptions so that you, my valued listener, have the choice to tune in to the episodes that interest you the most. I'm excited to share this venture with many of you and hope that we may even learn together. I appreciate all of your continued support. Greentree is the most famous bow hunter in Australia. He'd pinch me if he heard me say that, but there are just some things that are undeniable. Adam spends more time in the Australian bush than anyone I know. 
To call his camp and lifestyle inspirational would be an understatement. They're life-changing. Adam traded in his rifle for a bow when he was 17 years old. After a year of working in a slaughterhouse, his decision to hunt his own meat was further ingrained into his life and his beliefs. Granted, Australia is unique to the world, the majority of hunted animals are feral and are therefore culled by the government in major quantities. Adam works hard to promote bow hunting as a means to get outside, to appreciate where our food comes from, and to promote conservation in ways that may not be glaringly obvious to a closed mind, at first. We sit down in this episode of Anchor to try and change that. I was born in Newcastle, where we're shooting this podcast from now, which is, as you'll have seen already, it's a beautiful little coastal town. Mm-hmm. But we, we moved around a lot, mostly New South Wales, and um, we actually got away from the coast and went to the country. So like Elliston and out western New South Wales and areas like that. And it was um, very much the station life, which is, you know, like a, a ranch back home for you guys. Stations, our bigger properties, and it was usually um, sheep stations and cattle stations that we're on. And I uh, actually probably got my passion for the outdoors there, you know, because um, it was always horse riding or fishing in the, the streams and the hunting side of things as well, which, which back then was more about um, animal control, overpopulation of kangaroos or rabbits or foxes or pigs, and um, it, it wasn't the passionate side it wasn't hunting as such it was more just shooting Mm -hmm. but um that's where it all stemmed from and then in more recent years I've come back to the city where I where I'm looking for that escape and and wanting to venture out so just to give you a bit of an idea of how remote those stations were that were on my schooling was radio schooling when a, a teacher would get on the radio like a UHF radio yeah and or CV or whatever you wanted to call it and uh, that's how I did my schooling each day. So my mother would sit me down and uh, I'd do my schooling over the radio. Then uh, we actually moved on to another station when I was about seven years old. And I, that was out of Elliston, which is up here in New South Wales in the high country here. There was, I think, 29 students for the whole, the whole school of all different ages and all different classes. And the teacher would just come around to your desk and give you a little bit of work to work on and stuff like that. But it was so radical going to school because my father or mother would drive me to school and uh, it was our property most of the way to the school and we'd shoot pigs all the way to the school, yeah. And we'd actually get to the school grounds and it wasn't uncommon for the teacher to be on the veranda shooting pigs off what we called the field at school because pigs would come into the school and they'd rip up all the playground and everything like that. So it wasn't uncommon for the teacher to be shooting pigs in the morning to try and keep them under control. Oh my god! Yeah, it okay, was awesome. let's let's back it up even further. Just <laughs> your parents were together at this. Yeah, stage they were. In your life. Yeah, yeah. Siblings. Yeah, uh, two sisters, one older and one younger. While the moving was it for dad's work or? Yeah, it was. I just don't think my parents could ever settle down. Mm. It's a bit funny because as an adult, because I've got the three children, which you've all met, you've met as well. Mm-hmm is one of my biggest things was I, w- I just wanted to be settled in the one area because I know that's probably the best thing for the kids because when I was growing up, as soon as you'd make friends, you'd be moving on. Like I went to 16 different schools growing up, yeah, 16 different schools, and I think five of those were high school. So five different high schools and I dropped out midway through year nine because I just couldn't get anywhere schooling-wise because jumping from each school to school obviously is not healthy for an education either. Yeah. Yeah, so I just don't think they could settle down, and that's why we, why we moved around a lot. It was right. good in one sense because you got to see a lot of new country and areas and things mm-hmm. like that. 
but it really sucked in another sense because you just never established those friendships with people. Mm. But it's a cool story to tell now, like, oh, they used to shoot pigs <laughs> on the way to school, and the way home from school was the same thing. We would shoot the whole way home, you know, because um, pigs are a massive problem here in Australia. Let's and dive into a little bit of the history of introduced animals mm. to Australia, if you don't mind. Yeah, so it seems like we just kept making the same mistake over and over again. Most people are probably familiar with the cane toad, where the cane toad was brought into Australia to try and reduce the numbers or control the numbers of a cane beetle. And the cane toad got so populated and it just started eating everything else along the way. Now, every one of these insects, it's, every one of them fits into somewhere in the world. You know, they've all got a purpose. Well, I believe they've all got a purpose. And um, they brought these cane toads in and the cane toads basically moved on to everything else. Mm. And they've got these poisonous glands in their back so native birds, native snakes, you know, all sorts of native animals started eating these cane toads and dying, rolling over and dying because ah. they couldn't take the, the toxins. So that's just one example. And then, you know, pigs were brought in and introduced and they just, they've just gone crazy in Australia. Yeah. What were they and, brought in for? Uh, probably they were brought in for human consumption originally. And, you know, now the, the numbers have just exploded like they were brought over on some of the first boats. Now the numbers have just exploded, and uh, they they're very damaging to the waterways. They've um, run a lot of ground nesting birds into extinction because they'll go through and root up the nests and and they'll eat. And for anyone that's not familiar, how a pig generally eats is they turn the ground over looking for grubs or whatever they can find. So they the soil erosion's massive, and it's not good for what a lot of the stuff that you do, fly fishing in the streams. It's not healthy for the streams when there's that amount of erosion and dirt and soils flowing into these creeks and rivers, mm-hmm. into lakes and things like that. Yeah, I fish streams, and, I mean, it's devastating what a yeah. pig can do to a fishery. Yeah, I've seen them change. There was, a, there was a parcel of land that went uncontrolled for a long time where they, they weren't monitoring the numbers of pigs and I've seen that countryside go from beautiful ferny grassy country to the whole top of it's just turned over and 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 it's a real mess you know it's an absolutely real mess there's a lot of other species that we can put on that list as well like your rabbits and foxes and things like that but I, I suppose I should touch on that's not just why I hunt. I don't hunt like, oh, we need to monitor the numbers of these animals, you know. Mm-hmm. Hunting for me is very much a lifestyle and, um, you know, as we've spoken about earlier today is um, my whole family eats the deer meat particularly that we hunt. So it's not just about uh, just trying to control these animals because if, if you were just going to do that, you'd do it for high-powered rifle, obviously. That's a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, I like bow hunting probably because of the same reason you like fly fishing it's the ultimate of fishing in a sense like if i can think of what's the what's the best and most enjoyable method to fish and and sporting and i don't mean that in a sense of it's a sport but just you know it's a challenge would be fly fishing and now bow hunting's that for the hunting scene Mm -hmm. where you could go a whole season and just maybe shoot one deer or just get the opportunity at one deer and it's been a successful awesome season you know it's not so much about I've got to put an arrow in this animal and get it on the ground and, you know, get a photo of it or something like that. There's so much more to it. I do really want to dive into the parallels uh, between Mm. bow hunting and fly fishing. Most of the people who listen to this show are obviously anglers. It's a big gamble for me having you on here or having a hunter on here because there's a lot of people, like when I started 
making it clear to the public that I was taking up bow hunting, I got a lot of hate about it. Mm. And I want to bring some light to it with maybe a softer approach. And I think that you're the perfect guest for that. So we're going to be doing that later. But first, I still need to understand you. Mm. Okay, so you're growing up. You've got your siblings. You're moving around. Yeah. Did you have a lot of like-minded friends growing up? No, I didn't, mainly because of having the jump from school to school it wasn't like I was just moving down the street you know we'd move hundreds of kilometers away to you know a different station and and things like that so everything for me has been very solo you know like I've had to find find it out myself and learn from my own mistakes which isn't a bad way to learn but um can be costly and you're sort of it's not wasted time but sometimes you feel like you've wasted time in between maybe getting the wrong gear or not understanding or knowing um, the movements of a deer whereas if you had a group of friends that were all doing the same thing you know and you're sharing that information you know if you're part of that community you know like oh there's no use hunting deer down on the side of the river during the middle of the day because they're always up high you know like if there was someone to feed me that sort of information it's exactly the same thing with fly fishing you know Mm -hmm. like look those flies don't work at that time of the year or in that waterway or whatever it might be now i've got a bunch of friends because i've stayed established but you know i can do that as an adult i don't have to follow my parents around yeah but um yeah i definitely didn't have that when i was younger and we ended up moving back to the city when I was uh, eight or nine years old, and then my family basically just fell apart. You know, I ended up being from a broken home at that point, and that's when I started being more interested in going out to the outdoors. Like it was an escape for me. You know, like it wasn't so much I want to do this; it was become I, I need to do this. You know, to refresh my mind or you know reset your body clock and everything like that. It's like. It was like turning over a new leaf every time I went outdoors. So I was still at that age, though, that I just couldn't couldn't do that, you know, because I ended up staying with my mother at that point. Mum and Dad sort of, they, they gave it another try a couple of times and it just wasn't working out. And then before I knew it, I was, I was actually only 14. I ended up leaving school and going into a full-time job. And all, all I wanted at that point was to get enough money to get me license and a four-wheel drive and then to go and do whatever I wanted to do, you know, the great escape. And it's, like, so simple for, like, you as well, you know. It's the simplest thing in life to do is just go outdoors. But, yeah, it's the best. It's better than anything I can think of. And, um, yeah, so I worked hard and I, I, I started to get a good group of friends and uh, it was all in the construction industry and a few of those guys were into the same same things camping and fishing and going out hunting and still wasn't in the hunting in the way that I am now I wasn't dedicated like I am now I think by the time I was 16 then that's all I wanted to do I actually had rifles and I went into a, a gun store to trade in a rifle my, my mother had a shooter's license and uh, I went in to trade a rifle and they had like this weird bow looking thing on the wall <gasps> And I said to the old guy, he was a classic old guy, he was really nice to deal with, but I'm like, mate, what's that what's that thing on bow thing on the wall? And he's like, Oh, it's a compound bow and he just like handed it straight off the wall to me. Like, what's this crazy thing? It's got like three strings and stuff like that, it's weird. And he's like, I'll trade you this for the rifle that you brought in. And I was like, Well, yeah, I'll I'll give it a try and so he gave me the bow and a couple of arrows and he passed me like this old black and white magazine at the time. It was only, I think I was 17 at this point. And um, yeah, he passed me this magazine. On the front cover of the magazine was this guy with a bow, like a similar sort of bow that, that I had at the time. I think it was like a real old Hoyt looking bow, you know. 
this massive big buffalo, you know. And actually, I said straight to the guy, I'm like, oh, how many arrows would this take, you know, to kill this huge beast? And he's like, oh, only one arrow. And I was thinking, whatever, what a joke, you know. Yeah. I highly doubt it. And anyway, I read that magazine, like, I would have read that magazine 20 times from, like, that was it. Then that's that was me. I was just hooked, you know. I, and when I was younger, I'd run around with fiberglass toy bows and stuff like that and tried to shoot rabbits and different birds and things like that. And, but when I seen this magazine, I'm like, this is actually like a real professional pastime that you can do. And then from there, I've just, I've been, you know, just lost and I never picked up a rifle again. Really? Because after I shot a bow, there was so much more respect that come with it for mm-hmm. the animal as well that you're hunting. And it was so much more peaceful it's like if someone shot a gun at you, like one of us, how much shock would you be in already? You know, someone's just shot a gun, you hear this loud noise and it's just birds scatter, animals scatter for, you know, miles and then you shoot a bow and it's like just dead quiet and everything's still peaceful, yeah. you know, and then there's no alarm, alarm behind a bow, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I just loved it. And there was like this, there was, it was like some ancient, spark that just blew up in me just even seeing an arrow fly through the air you know or, sh- or practicing and shooting a bow and seeing the arrow hit its target you know like a hay bale I, I remember shooting at hay bales and just thinking this is amazing like the flight of an arrow mm-hmm. and when you think about the generations that were in front of us that come up that actually had to shoot good to survive mm-hmm. I think there's something ingrained in us from a very long time ago that 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 does that so Anyway, I ended up getting my driver's license and I, I made some friends that were into hunting as well. And actually, I think every one of my friends, everyone that I know now or everyone that I like yeah. is in the hunting. Like, it's just crazy. It's like, it's the similarity between hunters. I think there's a passion, passion behind most hunters, you know, if they're hunting for the right reasons that um, they just click and, and, and get along, you know. I really seen the hunting you know, it was like before what I was doing was just shooting, you know, that's what it really was. And now it became hunting where I'd, I'd spend years and years if I had to watching a certain animal get to a certain age and get into the right position and make sure that animal's in the right position to take a shot, that it's the most ethical and the cleanest kill. If if it took years to get to that point just to just to harvest one animal, then I'd, I'd stick to it and I'd be dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing else that I've been like that in life, you know. It's like I said before, it's like you don't even need, you don't even need to kill or harvest that animal for it to be a successful hunt, yeah. even hundreds of hunts, you know. And I've been on hundreds and hundreds of hunts that haven't been successful and they're still so memorable. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a beautiful thing when it's like that. I just couldn't believe the parallels for me between fly fishing and bow hunting. Mm. There's so much to it. That's what I think it is. And so a lot of things you can get into and master. And then if, if it seems like if you're good at something for too long or, you, or you're so successful at something for too long, then it does drop off a little bit. You're like, well, oh, I sort of conquered this now. What can I move on with? That's a little bit human nature, especially, especially for people that like to push themselves. There's so much to bow hunting. Like, I've done it for 18, nine, I don't know, so 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And I still can't say that I'm a master 
of bow hunting and without beating my own drum, I, I think I'm good at it, but I can't just go and go, I'm going to kill that deer now. No. That deer's mine. No way. Like, if you go over that thought, then they're going to kick your ass every time, you know, you're not even going to get close. And it's just never-ending. There's so much to the sport, the technical side of things or the real basic side of things, like a traditional bow. You can't never stop practicing with a bow. That's when that's when you'll be unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be regularly successful in bow hunting, it's just it's you've got to be so active in it. You know that some people you might shoot a deer a season, and you know that's but that's not regular success. And there's just so much to it, like the camping side of things. Having to go out to the back country, there's the easier hunts as well, but having to go out to the back country and all the different species that you can hunt around the world, and it, it just it never dulls off. Like even just the archery side of things, like shooting your bow, it's like one of those things you just never get bored of. It's like I can just keep shooting my bow and shoot my bow, and then the next morning you hop up and you're like, oh, I want to shoot my bow again. Yeah, it's got crazy. this crazy addiction. And so and I, so that's what I found this fall. And I was really confused and actually genuinely concerned about it. Because I live on a famous steelhead river. And I wake up, I made a little archery, you know, a little range at my place. Awesome. And I wake up every morning and I shoot. Mm. And all I could think about was grouse hunting. And I'd be on the water. I'd force myself to fish every morning before I went hunting. And all I could think about was getting out into the forest. And yeah. it was really confusing for me. And I noticed that I'm not alone in this. There's a lot of fly fishermen going through this yeah. this battle. Unfortunately, a lot of the great hunting falls in the same time of year when the great fishing mm. is. And I'm just, I'm, I've gone through this weird psychological analysis where I'm trying to figure out what the parallels are. And for me, fly fishing was never about relaxing. It was always about exploring and, ooh, am I going to run into a bear? But is that you relaxing? Because that's what everyone says to me, you know, like you don't stop. And I'm like, yeah, but that's... That's like the relax. That's how I relax yeah, by going hunting. Even though it's so full on, you've got to be so switched on and onto it. Yeah. It's But it's like relaxing. Well, see, so funny you should say that. The other thing I've been spending a lot of time doing in the last couple of years is meditating. A lot of people think meditation is where you fall into this different world. And mm. I guess it is in a way, but... Like, sometimes I'm focusing on the sound of the toilet. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I'm focusing nice. on the sound of a fan. Like, it doesn't need yeah. to be romantic. It's just, sometimes I just count the beads on my wrist over and over again. It's just your brain focused on one thing, mm-hmm. not allowing other thoughts in. And when I'm hunting, that is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm in such a state of focus that it is relaxing for me. There's this, it's, it's meditative yeah, for me. Yeah. And I had it with fishing, and I had it with fishing for a really long time, and I still have it with fishing, don't get me wrong, for certain species on certain waterways. But with hunting, it doesn't matter what I'm hunting for or where I am. I'm always in that state. Mm. So I'm really, con- I'm not confused, but fascinated by the parallels between hunting and fishing and, and the people who fish who are, are drawn to hunting is it because we fish for different reasons? I think it's just because it's such a natural thing to do. Like, yeah. I know in today's society, it doesn't seem... it's Well, it's not a normal thing to do, but it's very natural to do in in the city society, I should say. Mm. And that's why I think the two combine, because I don't know anyone that bow hunts that doesn't actually fish. I do know a lot of people that fish that don't bow hunt, but a lot of people just never discovered it yet or don't understand yeah. it, you know. I used to always say about, you know, how it's relaxing. It's because there was no stress. Like my, 
my only want when I go hunting is there's no want at all. I'm just there doing it. It's not like I want to see a deer, I have to see a deer, you know, or there's no stress or it's just, it's really weird. Like I don't care where the day starts and ends. You know, I'm usually up in the dark and I'm just getting back to camp in the dark. But there's like, there's no, nothing that has to happen throughout that day to make it successful or it's, it's like, it's weird. It's like a no tide relationship with the wilderness where there's no place I really have to be or where I'm going to go is wherever I think the deer are or the pigs or whatever I'm hunting. You know, there's no set course or, or. Oh, no, it's just the freest time there is. What about the opposite end of the scale? I mean, if that's if we're talking about it from having an appeal because of the relaxation and the meditation, what about the side of things from a stalking stance? I mean, could it be that anglers are drawn to bow hunt, or to hunting because maybe one of the reasons we love fishing so much is because there's this inherent desire to stalk oh, or this feel to stalk. Could it be that? There's- I, I think a big part of it, so I've taken a lot of people out for their first deer now, and th- these people have never seen a deer in the wild. And the first time you'll see a deer in the wild is a crazy, marvellous feeling. And you sort of can't believe it at the same time. And there's this predator instinct that just kicks off in you straight away, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we need that. Like, I want to pursue that. I want to chase that. And But at the same time, it's like you're happy to sit back and admire it. Do you ever take someone out and they just can't they don't want to pull the trigger? No, I've never. I've taken a lot of people out, and I've taken some people out that I'm just like, oh, maybe bow hunting's not for them. Mm-hmm. Like my wife, yeah. <laughs> Kimmy. And um, she loved it. Yeah. And straight, like after the first day, she, like she went from, she didn't understand what the appeal was so much or how you can feel like that about hunting. She She accepts hunting and she eats the meat and everything like that. But she's never been a hunter or had a desire to do it. And after the first day of just, like, chasing deer around and looking at deer and stalking and unsuccessful stalks as well, hard walks, like, things that a lot of people mightn't enjoy. And after the first day, she's like, I really like deer hunting and just really enjoyed it. She'd never even shot a deer. We didn't shoot a deer the whole trip, but she just thoroughly loved it. I don't – it isn't for everyone. Right. It definitely isn't for everyone. But a lot of people that have that first little bit of interest in – you know, wanting to try hunting and a lot of people, the appeal is being able to provide for yourself instead of buying packaged meat, which is still a dead animal, believe it or not, some people, that's still a dead animal. It's had to die to get there, is actually going out yourself and getting that meat. And once you've done that, once you've been a hunter and, and done that, it feels very selfish to go and buy meat in a package where you don't know any of the history behind that animal. It's really weird, but it's, it's like you have a bond with your meat then, you know, and you respect it and you know where it comes from, you know, and it's come from an animal. And uh, I was saying to you early today that I can understand the side where people don't like hunting and can't stand hunting. Like, I love animals. I absolutely love animals. Like, every one of these animals that I hunt, I love as well, and I respect them and appreciate them. It's not an easy thing taking an animal's life. So when you do you really cherish that meat, you know. It's like I said, you really you understand where, where that meat's come from. And the only hands it's passed are my hands right in front of me right now, mm-hmm. where when you buy meat in a package, most of the time that meat's passed four or 500 people's hands. Like I've worked on the slaughter floors at a slaughterhouse mm-hmm. and the amount of people that it passes, you know, bereaving mouths. But that's all right because 
look at the population of the world now. We have to do that yeah. for the population of the world. But just once you've hunted, it just it is. It's a sad way for animals to have to be processed and and done now. But the population is what it is, and you know, like we have to do that. Thousands and thousands of animals have to go past each slaughter floor every single day for human demand. Mm-hmm. But I can feed my family by just going out hunting and do it in a very peaceful way. Like the animal doesn't know that I'm there, it's not stressed out, hasn't been put on a truck for the last eight hours and taken to a slaughterhouse and pushed through the rails and everything like that. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That has to happen, you know. But there's just a desensitisation in yeah. doing it that way. See, and that's so that's exactly why I wanted to do this podcast. Mm. For a lot of people it's what they grow up with. So if you're if you're one of these on. people from a country town where there's a lot of hunting that's been done or a station and things like that, mm. then hunting's just acceptable because they've come up. They they live on farms. I understand that animals animals have to die for most people to eat. And these people also have a great understanding of life when like even a relative dies, like it, that's a part of life. It's a part of the process, or a, or one of their pets die. You know, it is part of the part of life. And it's funny. It's like so if the lion kills something to eat, no one cares. But we're just all animals the same. You know, depending on whose view. Like I'm sure animals look at us thinking we're just animals the same. They don't think we're some superior beings or anything like that. Yeah. We have to eat, and and that's meat. For me, it's not even odd, but I, I can see where it becomes odd for a lot of people that are in disconnect. Like, I'll do the most simplest things, something simple in my everyday life. Like, it might be just cutting up meat. And people will freak out, like, oh, my God, what's he doing? What's he doing? Oh, well, I'm cutting up meat. That's yeah. that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. That's what we are supposed to do. Yeah, you know? I've had people message me and say they're disappointed in me. But they're eating meat. And so yeah. I, just to make it clear for my listeners, like, I've made it clear from the beginning to everybody, you know, you're not going to be seeing me doing the trophy pose and you're not going to be seeing me making a, a career move in hunting. That's not right. what this is. It's, I genuinely want to take people who are so opposed to it, like my father, whom I'm going to make listen to this podcast, and I want them to maybe hear the other side. So can we talk about that a little yeah. bit? Let, I'll just touch, because you said about the trophy, mm. the trophy pose. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that's like showing off and stuff like that. That's I cool. couldn't care if no one ever looked at any of my trophy photos. For me, it's more of a way to respect and a memory of the animal and like so I'll do a photo album no one I'll, there's, I've got photo albums in this room that people have never even looked through and they're great photos and it's a great representative of an animal but it's just out of respect for the animal if other people are going to look at it with the same view you know like he's not trying to show off or anything like that this is a beautiful animal look at it like appreciate it and that's what a trophy photo is it's probably to about 99% of the hunters and I think that's where we get a bit of flack. You know, people look at this trophy photo like he's just showing off or whatever. Some people are and, just so distasteful yeah, with it. That go and have a look through my Instagram. There's photos of meat in on my Instagram or photos of the campsite. I'm not trying to show off and go, look at my meat or show off, look at my campsite. You know, it's the same with an animal photo. And uh, I even hate the word trophy, to tell you the truth. But, um, but that's what we call them. That's what we do call that's them. That's what we call them. But those photos aren't for that reason you know like look at this or anything like that like i've already told you i've got strain and world record animals some of these animals rate the biggest in the world if i was to register them i don't even register them it doesn't that side of things doesn't interest me but that trophy photo as we say is just a photo for a memory you know and and out of respect out of the animal 
taxidermy is the same for me, you know, it's mm. just respect for the animal, you know, it's a, it sounds a bit weird, but it's my way of honouring the animal, you know, like I said, I love every one of these animals on the wall, and I love every one of these animals still running around in the wilderness. And it's interesting to hear you say it, because in fly fishing, there's this thing where there's a grip and grin photo, and it's recently, uh, especially with social media, gone under a lot of criticism, because new studies are showing with oxygen and handling mm. that maybe gripping and grinning a fish out of the water isn't the best thing, obviously, for the fish's health. But granted, these fish are then being released to Yeah, if you do it in the day. right way, yeah. So, but, but even though they're being released, there's still some issues that can happen biologically to the fish. Mm-hmm. With these animals, any of these who have had photos taken were already passed, right? So I understand. See, when I used to guide, I'd have a client who would get one week a year to fish. Mm. And even though I don't take photos of all of my fish because there's just... Like you said, you catch enough or you hunt enough, yeah, you don't yeah. feel the need to. But if I have that one guy and he's only caught that one steelhead mm. in that year and he wants a photo to put on his desk so that when he looks at it, there's that appreciation so that yeah, he stays sure. connected to it. So I get it there. And it keeps him coming back. It yeah. keeps him coming and back and keeps him The other big thing is I've, this is something I've want, been promoting for years and years and it's the same as you because I hate the idea that someone might – might really have a love for bowing, but they never discover it, mm-hmm. you know, or someone's not getting out enough, you know, it's like whatever's best for me or whatever's good for me, I want that for the person right beside me, you know, family, friend, neighbour, some stranger down the street, like I want everyone to experience what's good in life. Yeah. And that, like that's the only reason I wrote articles for years and years, I've still never accepted a, a paycheck for an article that I've written really? because I, I, I do it for the purpose of getting someone psyched up, interested, you know, motivated to get out there and experience what I'm doing. It hurts my brain to think that there's people that will never, ever experience the outdoors or bow hunting or fishing. They don't know that 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 even exists in life. You know, they they just don't do it and get out there, you know, and then... It seems crazy that's something that once kept us alive. I know, yeah. (laughs) It's something that we don't even realise, some people don't realise exists. It's insane. That's what I, the other thing, when I did the Joe Rogan podcast, the amount of people that wrote me these messages, like I didn't get one negative response out of thousands of messages out of that podcast, and there was Annie Hunters writing to me that said they now have a better understanding of hunting and they're not against it and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I had people writing to me just going, it's just crazy the things you do, you know, and I'm just like, they're just normal everyday things. It's just that people have lost touch with them or maybe they can't be in touch with it because they live in the middle of a big city and they can't get out to the outdoors or whatever it might be. And But to me, they're just, like in the things that you do, I'm sure you've got an audience that's just like, that's crazy, she done this and done that, but it's just normal things to you. Mm-hmm. And they're only saying that because they've never discovered it or they've yeah. never jumped out and done it themselves. Or just even simple things like you built the most beautiful cabin on your property mm. and I've done something similar on mine and people are like, oh, that's my dream. And yeah. I, I want to shake them and I be know. like, well, go and do it. Do it. I know, yeah. Do it. Like I've had a couple of comments on Instagram and stuff like that, you know, like about the amount of work that I put into it and really it's no work at all. It's just posting a photo and everyday life sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing behind Instagram and stuff, and Facebook is the same just to get people because I, I knew when I was growing up if I looked at guys say they were hunting western New South Wales like that real harsh country and those photos and articles g me up 
to the point where I then, okay, I'm planning the trip out there. I've got to do that trip, and it gets you to do a trip. And I just thought that was the most amazing thing ever. You know, there's never been a bit of jealousy or anything behind that. It's always just been like, oh, awesome, them guys are hunting. You know, they shot a awesome deer. You know, I want to do that one day. And then start planning it, you know. It's like gets you motivated. Right. And that's now I'm doing the same thing and I'm getting messages from these guys saying, you know, I got in the bow and in because of you and Cameron Haynes and John Dudley and Joe Rogan and we love that. And I'm like, well, how good of a role model is that to have? Like they, we're just normal people. Like I'm just a normal person doing what I love and I just happen to be sharing it. gets people motivated and they get out and do it. That's the best feeling ever. That's the purpose behind all this, even this podcast right here, you know. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I couldn't care if no one looked at my Instagram or read one of my articles if it wasn't going to get them motivated. Yeah. You know, it's not about me. It's about the wilderness. And that's the same with them trophy photos. It's not, not about me. It's about the animal that's in the photo. Like, look at this crazy, awesome animal. Like, it's something to respect and appreciate. Coming up, Adam and I speak about conservation and my ongoing question about the ethics of guns versus bows. Again, thank you to Yeti for their support. Head on over to www.yeti.com and check out the Hopper. Built for those adventures where you just want to grab your gear and go, it's the original 100% leak-proof, ice-for-days portable cooler. Made from materials found in things like survival suits, it's tough as nails. I've brought my Hopper with me on boats, helicopters, rafts, and I even use it as my airplane carry-on. Again, check them out at www.yeti.com. I was brought up in a family, like I said, who was opposed to this. Um, I was terrified. I've had so many people in my career say, don't don't show anybody what you're doing. Don't tell anybody what you're doing. People yeah. in conservation are going to be so appalled. And I had to really sit back and go, oh, Guess what? This, hold on. This is conservation. That's what God. I've got to tap in on that right now, as you mentioned. Please that. do. This is conservation right now. So the Australian, the setup in Australia is we can only hunt feral introduced species that don't fit into our ecosystem. So one thing I was talking to April about earlier today was something I noticed up, up in um, far northwestern Australia where the kangaroos were digging in the sand on the side of the bank so they didn't go into the water and muddy the water up or murk the water up and they were drinking cooler water and filtered water so kangaroo strain native they did it perfect a goat walks along stomps in all these kangaroo holes that are dug in the sand and closes the water in and walks straight into the water and it's just walking around the water with it's you know mudding up the water and has a drink in the water, walks around the water more and just stirs up all the water. Now, that killed a lot of our native fish. That They're extinct now. They're not even on the list anymore because that happened with cattle that were introduced, pigs introduced, buffalo introduced, very bad in the Northern Territory. All the water systems in the Northern Territory that have buffalo in them are just big mud cesspools. So, and there's, there's very little things that can live in that sort of muddy, murky water. They carry foot rot. There's and they just the numbers go unchecked because they live in unfenced areas, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas our kangaroo populations and our native populations always seem to stay in check. Kangaroos get out of control a little bit every now and then, and conservation is getting professional shooters in to because you've got to need need a license to shoot anything native in Australia. So the kangaroo shooters they get a license, they get permits for how many they can cull and they cull at the kangaroo population, and it's in the best interest for the kangaroo population. When that hasn't happened, the kangaroos that ate themselves out of house and home, they get malnutrition, malnourished, and then 
they die out. And but it's not like they die in an instant. You're talking about kangaroos that die over weeks and weeks and weeks to the point where in the end they can't hop or jump and they lay on the ground that the carcass rots out while the animal's still alive. Yeah, birds eat their eyes out. It's disgusting. It's not pretty. That's when humans have to step in. Well, the the argument is obviously, well, humans have built cities and so we've raided the population. I've seen these populations thousands and thousands of kilometres from any city, any, any, any little town or anything. They just they get out of control. Go to Google and look up kangaroo population where it's a pla- in plague proportions. Mm-hmm. It's just those videos will turn your stomach, some of them. And there's just thousands and thousands of kangaroos laying around dead. It's, it's, that's not a good way to go. Yeah. So now conservation through hunting is unbelievable because now you've got hunters, like individual people going out, hunting these individual animals which add up but the population still stays nice i'm not talking about wiping something off the face of the planet even with our introduced species when those animals are kept in check the numbers are fine you know when they're monitored and they're kept you know like where i take you the deer numbers are absolutely fine up there but if there were thousands of deer on our property they wouldn't be because they ring bark trees so they kill a lot of the native trees that are growing up they can spread disease and foot rot and things like that in the American system, like because you're and the Canadian system, where you're hunting your natives, there's conservation in place for you guys hunting your natives. Where the Department of Wildlife only give out so many tags for, let's say, the moose population. Mm-hmm. You know, say the moose population's steady, they're not going to give out a lot of tags. Let's say the next year they do the check and the, the moose population's going berserk and it's starting to wreck the fauna then they'll give out more tags and they just keep a nice balance and control in that. They put a lot of study and work into it. I think one really good example is when the black bear numbers are getting too too large, moose numbers go low because there's so many black bears that are going around and eating the calf moose. So they'll let out a lot more bear tags, but they don't let out, you know, let's just say there's a 1,000 bears in an area. They don't give out a 1,000 bear tags. There's a 1,000 bears in an area and they give out five. You know, like they keep the numbers in check. And at the same time, we've got money going into these small communities or towns because they live off the back of hunting. You've got hunters paying for licenses and tags, which go back in the conservation, which help improve the numbers of animals that are struggling, which they don't give out a tag for. And habitat, you know, they they spend a lot of money on habitat regeneration. They spend a lot of money on buying acreage as well, which, which they lock out. You know, so no one could ever build or clear or log that forest and things like that. It's massive. All you have to do is look at the stats on, you know, look up the stats, you know, feed your mind with that information before you just think, oh, hunting's brutal or it's no good. Hunting's the best form of conservation there is, and it's proven. Let's talk about Australia a little bit more, if you don't mind, on species level. One of the things that I've had a really hard time wrapping my head around is in Canada, or in British Columbia specifically, Mm. Whenever we kill something, we eat it. So whether it's a black bear, I I don't hunt bear, but my friends yeah. who do, they eat them. Deer, you eat them. Grouse, you eat them. But in Australia, there's something very strange to me here, and it's the whole yeah. go and for it. Yeah, and it's that whole – because that's what you – that's the system in America. Legally, you have to. And even when you don't have to legally, so many people have done it, that that's what everyone's used to doing. You know, you take every bit of meat which is unreal, especially because most of the meat's excellent eating. In Australia, these feral 
animals. A lot of them are good for eating. Like I mean, we you spoke guys hunt about. feral cats here, and you guys hunt fox here, and mm. you guys. So hunt that's so you've got your from a conservation purpose. No one's going to eat a fox unless your yeah, Andrew Uckles, my buddy, you might eat a fox or something like <laughs> that. But no one's going to eat a fox. But we eat a lot of rabbits. If rabbits are out of control, then they just get shot from a conservation point of view. And if you're talking about shooting three or four hundred rabbits, are you going to eat three or four hundred rabbits? No, but the numbers need to be controlled. So they knock the rabbit population down. And with the same with the buffalo, I told you how devastating they were. Buffalo's not great eating. We eat the younger ones, you know. We'll take the back straps and best cuts of meat from the big bulls. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of buffalo actually gets donated to the indigenous community, especially on the couple of places that I hunt in Arnhem Land, because we are close to the community and it's easy to butcher up an animal and get get it back there. But a lot of that sort of hunting is done from a conservation point of view, and just the fact that you know we're hunters and we and we want to hunt you know it's just like i said before it's not just about keeping the numbers in control and oh, we didn't we need to shoot those deer because the numbers are getting out of control or you know we need to shoot this deer because we eat there's a whole range of things including those two things as well that comes in the play of why we why i like to hunt at least anyway and it's and it is it's very much my lifestyle and my passion and it's how i free my mind you know if, if i've got stress going on in life and i go hunting it's gone because there's nothing to stress about once you go hunting um pigs so you can eat our pigs we don't waste any deer meat we we take all the deer meat out that's very good eating you can eat goats we hunt goats here in australia which i think you've been out on a a goat hunt before all your younger goats are really well really good eating Mm -hmm. your big billies aren't very good eating because they basically piss on themselves since they're born (laughs) it's not very nice but you can eat them but um the same the same applies to us, like nothing goes to waste. So, but so like, many Australians so, do waste their meat, though. That's what's really confusing Yeah, I me. think it's starting to turn around a little bit. Because, Good, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, it's definitely turned, turned around a lot because people are seeing and understanding the value of meat, you know, and that a lot of people wouldn't eat pig, like, oh, you can't eat pigs, you know, but Australia's disease-free when it comes to yeah. disease from animals to human, it's disease-free. Animal to animal, it's not. So feral animal to livestock or feral animal to native animals isn't disease free but all of our animals are virtually disease free from animal to human like it's nothing to cut a bit of meat off a deer that's just been killed and eat it raw you you won't get sick it's, there's no worms in them or anything like that so i think that there's more knowledge out there you know is that what it is yeah it's just education yeah there is and i think there's a there's a bit of romance in eating the meat from the animal that that you shoot. There's basically no animal in Australia except for maybe a fox and a feral cat yeah. that I wouldn't eat that you can hunt. I've eaten camel and buffalo and scrub bull and bang tang. I've eaten all of the six deer species. Like I said, no deer goes to waste. I actually was on a plane from Victoria back to Newcastle and I had a whole hog deer packed in a carry-on suitcase on the plane because I wasn't going to waste any of the meat. So I cut all this deer up and I loaded it in, like deboned it, loaded it all into this suitcase. It was like full serial killer-ish. <laughs> <laughs> and got it home and, oh, it was the best deer to eat too. It was awesome. But is that something you'd like to see in other hunters? Like you're a young, push attractive guy. How old oh, are you? thank you. You're 36? 36, yeah. Okay, so you're a young guy. People look up to you. 
You're, from my research anyway, the guy from a bow hunting stance yeah. in Australia. Yeah, you're probably wrong, but yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I've done, I've done a little bit no, of research on you. But, yeah. um, but do you have anything you want to say, though, to maybe the younger guys who look up to you who I do bow hunt I, but don't keep the meat? If it's deer, then you're, you're only cheating yourself because the venison's... I reckon venison's the best meat going. Mm. And... Um, like, look at all, the old moose behind you. I don't know how old that moose is, but he's he's old, you know. He's from Northwest Territories in Canada. And look how old he was, and that meat was beautiful. So you just can't, oh, it's an old animal. I'm not going to take the meat. That's like all these deer. I've taken the meat from every one of these deer, and it's been delicious. So I'd say if, if you're shooting deer and not taking the meat, you're only missing out yourself, and it's a massive waste of resource. But what I was going to say before is there's nothing wasted. There's, oh, there's nothing wasted. Technically, there's nothing wasted. Like, I believe the world's the ultimate predator of all, and everything goes back into the world. You know, whether it's beetles eating it, birds eating it, other smaller scavenging predators eating it, the ground, it all goes back into the ground, which is earth. Mm-hmm. You know, Mother Earth eats everything in the end. Even us, that's the end story. Mother Earth's going to conquer all. You know, we talk about maybe shooting a fox and only taking its pelt because you're not going to eat the meat, go back a week later and there won't be a single piece of that fox left. The only thing that's sitting there still is bones and even they decay and and break down to nothing. These deer disappear overnight. It's just insane. Like I've seen six wedgetails on a deer carcass and that those wedge tails pretty much ate that whole deer carcass, you know, and there's, what else is working there as well, you know, all the insects and bugs and predators coming in overnight and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, it does seem like a waste because humans aren't eating it, but if you've really opened your mind, it's not, you know, all these animals have got to eat. Some of these animals, you know, it's not like they become reliant on it too, you know, like, oh, we're waiting for the hunters to come past. These wedge tails still kill whatever they want to kill, but, you know, maybe they're just not killing for the next couple of days because they're eating a deer carcass. So so nothing goes to waste. But, you know, your young goats, your, your younger pigs or, your, you know, your, your medium-sized pigs are all, all really good eating. Rabbits, awesome feed, rabbit. Yeah. Um, you can eat your hares and... and um, yeah, just stay clear of the feral cats and the foxes. <laughs> yeah, well, I was always feeling really bad for those feral cats. Yeah. And I almost hit one the other night with my truck. Yeah. I missed it, but I saw my first feral cat, and yeah. they're a frightening animal. They're a frightening animal. I've seen, uh, like, a cat's kill site. Like, a cat took over a rabbit warren, and so obviously it probably killed the rabbits in there as well, or at least the kittens, which are baby rabbits. Mm-hmm. And there was that many different species of bird feathers at that rabbit warren, it was insane, you know. And, and um, I've seen them in action. I actually tell this story a little bit where we're out on, we're out near Burke in western New South Wales, and we're hunting around the lake. And there's a lot of birds that they nest on the dead timber that's actually on the lake, as in it's out on the water. You know, you'd think that's the safe place, right? So we're driving back into camp late one night and, like, we've seen, like, 16 feral cats. And we're like, that's insane. Maybe that's why all the birds are nesting out on the lake. And it was just the timing, you know. It's when the birds are actually nesting. Anyway, the next night when we drove in, I'm like, oh, look at them red eyes on the lake. Like, it's where there was a freshwater crocodile on the lake. There's none. This is western New South Wales. There's no crocodiles there. But it was just like, oh, there's eyes out on the lake. 
so we got the vehicle and we turned the high beam on, on the vehicle and shined it across the lake and there's these feral cats swimming out along the lake and they just swim from dead tree to dead tree out on the lake and they climb up in the tree into these nests. These birds are, like the adult birds, are actually in the nest and it's night time so they're just nested up. And these are... These are native. These Australian are native birds. Australian birds. There's some, there's some of the and the cats were just birds. picking them off the perch oh. in in numbers that you wouldn't believe. So that's the feral cat in Australia. Like you know, it's like I, I like I said, I appreciate and love all animals, but when it's that devastating to the environment, like do your research online once again and find out. Australia's now got the facts behind it to show that feral cats are going to make more bird life and lizard life extinct than any other animal has on the planet because they're on the brink of extinction so many of them because of feral cats and foxes as well are really bad so yeah that's sort of the sucky side of things and like i said we're you know there comes a point where we need to step in you know we can't just let people might call that nature run its course we can't let nature run its course like that because we're part of nature as well and and you know if, if you've got the brains about you and the common sense it tells you you need to step in and put an end to feral cats or at least slow the population down enough that it's not devastating and these other species can have a bit of a foothold in Australia still. Uh, let me dive into your career a little bit. What exactly do you do? Well, who are you? <laughs> who am I? I don't know. It's because uh, I'd always do these big hunts, you know, or I'd go away for a week or a couple of weeks at a time. So I've always done fencing and landscaping. Like, as soon as I come out of school, that's the job that I went and got so I could save a bit of coin and things like that. And Actually, my education out of school was, like, rapid, like three times faster than when I was in school because I, I think I was so far behind in school that I, I just didn't want to learn anymore. Actually, I was, I was partially deaf for um, most of my younger life and they didn't pick up on it till really late. Was that from shooting guns? No, it was just, I was just born with it. And I used to be sat at the back of the class like a naughty kid and there'd be less hearing at the back of the class, you know. And the only time that I ever really heard anything was when I said the teacher would come around to each desk and spend a little bit of time with you. And when I did radio schooling as well, I wasn't hearing things clearly. And I was actually illiterate when I was, I think I was 11 years old and I was still illiterate. I couldn't read or write properly, like very basic and it wasn't until I wanted to read that hunting magazine that I really started trying and learning to read. And it was actually just through the outdoor life that I actually started to read and write. Now I write the biggest articles for a couple of the magazines here in Australia. It's pretty, pretty insane. But you don't accept any paychecks for them. No. So what's no. your job? So my job, I got a job. I'm digging it's, carefully yeah, saying, how do yeah, you make yeah. your money? So I got a job. So I didn't have to have a job as such, yeah. if this makes sense. So it was in the construction industry, basically. So fencing and landscaping, and I just moved on to all sorts of building and things like that. And I'd go away for these big trips, and there'd be no income when I went away. And it's one of those jobs where all it does is pay for things each week, and at the end of the week, you'd have no money, and you know, it really sucked. So I pretty much chased work around Australia and I ended up in Western Australia up north where this is after going through a hundred different jobs. I ended up in Western Australia up north in the mining industry because, you know, that was supposed to be so good and it was very remote, which which suited me fine. I really loved that remote life. I ended up kicking off my own business in Western Australia and, like, it's been a massive success. It's been awesome. I've worked really hard for it, like, 
crazy amount of hours for many years to get to where it is. But um, now we just work ex- exclusive for a couple of the big mine sites, and which treat us really well, and safety's really good on those jobs. And this would actually suit you, but we're like, I like works like right on the coast in some of the remotest places you've ever seen that's really cool are you able to talk to some of the mining guys and put in a conservation outlook yeah to some of those guys yeah definitely yeah yeah Yeah. so that works out well yeah it does it does work out really good you don't make your living off of hunting then i don't know and i've never wanted to if it becomes a job will i enjoy it as much you know and i like to do it in my time and my rules my rules are i don't have any rules let's go hunting you know sort of thing so I, I I built the business basically to go how how can I go away as much as I do or more my wife's not listening so we'll just say more how can I go away more but it's not an income breaker when I got into hunting I mean the first thing I did was I got my firearms license which was it's not as easy in Canada as it is in the USA I was much more interested in the bow because I always wanted to kind of follow in the footsteps of the indigenous people and that's something I fantasized about my whole life. Mm -hmm. So all growing up, you know, even when I, I did like nine years of girl guides when I was younger and I used to stalk the bush and and I was just all about trying to be like one of the natives. Yeah, it's because you had a connection with the bush. That's what most hunters find. They have a real connection with the wilderness, the bush, yeah. The more I listened to what my friends were doing and people I respected were doing, the, the more I felt like... I would be more ethical to start hunting with a bow. Mm. Here's where my conflict comes. Uh, yeah, already I can say not exactly. So I start diving into why is it more ethical to hunt with a bow? And I hear the argument, well, you have to get closer with a bow. A lot of shots that are made are made within 20 yards, which yep, is true. really close to yep. an animal. So that excited me. So then it was like, well... You know, people would say, well, you're just the animal suffering because it's basically razor blades slicing it up, this, that, and the other thing. And so that really stressed me out. Yeah. Can, can I just... Yeah, yeah. Interject wherever you need to. Have you ever cut yourself with something really sharp and you don't even realize you cut? Yes. I shave my legs and do it all the time. Okay. So that's, that's why we're so, so hard up on having your broad edge razor sharp. Mm. And I can give you a thousand examples where I've put an arrow straight through an animal and the animal hasn't even reacted because there's no loud noise behind it. The arrow's razor sharp. And, like, I had a buffalo. Like, I put an arrow straight through a buffalo, one side to the next. Like, you're aiming for the lungs. Like, there's the least tissue Mm -hmm. between one lung to the next and the outer rim of the animal. So you try. that's where you want to go, and it's the most quick and peaceful kill. And so I shot this buffalo, and obviously it just felt a little something, like the arrow's you know, went straight through it and it literally just lifted its head up for a second and looked around and it put its head back down and just started eating the grass and then fell over like that quiet. And I can give you a thousand examples like that. Even deer, like deer are super highly strung where I've shot deer and I haven't even realized they've been hit and then they just, they just fall over, you know, like it's, they just go unconscious. But that's a big part of that's having a razor sharp broadhead. Could it then be more ethical? If you hunted with a gun but didn't make the shot unless you were 20 metres away? It could be, but um, I'll tell you about the first buffalo hunt that I went on. So the first buffalo hunt I went on, I shot three big mature buffalo. Like, they're tanks. Like, they're up near 900 kilos, you know, a tonne of weight. They're massive. And so I shot three bulls, and three bulls died without knowing what even happened. Like, so they are just zipped straight through them. 
Um, two of them just lift their head and just fell over on the spot. One of them lifted its head up, felt that something was wrong, started running and just died within 30 metres. Like you're talking seconds, like it's over and done with. Then my friend had a really high-powered rifle and is an exceptional shot, like he's a really good hunter. And he was shooting buffalo at close range, like that was the whole whole thing, you know, I was getting 20 to 30 metres from buffalo, he was doing the same thing and shooting them with a rifle. Now, the adrenaline system on an animal is insane the difference like shooting the deer and it not knowing you're there it will stay on the spot like oh what did i just hear or what just happened and fall over dead or you shoot a deer and then make a movement or go oh look at that i got it and then that deer freaks out and the adrenaline system in that deer jacks up it will run hundreds of meters like that's the difference now put that into like a buffalo which is just giant like and so they say they can carry lead you know they can get shot with a bullet and just carried even in the right spot and so my buddy shot this big ball and it hears the gun roar afterwards and it feels the fud on its body and it just puts its head down starts running bang hits it again perfect keeps running head down just bowling over trees as it's going bang hits it again and four shells went into that animal before it drops so there's no in a sense there's no different behind a bow and an arrow if you brain shoot something with a gun that's when a lot of the times you'll see something drop on the spot that animal's still alive it just can't operate anymore it's it's fallen down and dropped on the spot so a lot of your really good ethical rifle shooters will still shoot for the vitals like that's the quickest way to kill an animal and that adrenaline system kicks in and they'll do the run so as a bit of an example that the animals that i was shooting with the bow were dropping within seconds and the animals shot with a rifle were carrying the bullets so for a little while until the body obviously succumbs and it drops these shots are perfect through the organs but they just they can carry the shot through the adrenaline rush. And that's why there's no yahooing or carrying on after we shoot something. You shoot something, you stay still, you be quiet, you give the animal its time and its peace for it to die. You know, your audience, just have an open mind about this, this podcast, you know. Don't, don't just shut this podcast out going, oh, it's hunting, it's brutal and things like that. It's definitely not brutal. It's, it's Like I said, it's very natural. It's just we're so detached from it. You've got to think that the only reason you're here today is because your ancestors hunted to survive and hunting now is going to the supermarket and buying your meat or harvesting's going and buying your vegetables there was once a time when they had to be grown in your own paddock or you know you had to put your own work into those that's it's hunting it's just what i would call a selfish way of hunting because you're not doing it yourself and i actually i don't even have a problem behind it. i just have a problem with people that are against hunting but do that people are against hunting but go and buy meat in a supermarket and uh, it's like i said there, there could be a story behind that meat but you just never know it because you haven't taken it yourself and that concludes this episode of anchored thank you for listening Miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.